industry focus. The podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, September 21st. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week's Financial Show, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into a company called Appfolio, a software company targeting the real estate and legal markets. We've also got a couple of stocks for you to keep an eye on this week. As always, joining me this week, it's certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Just fine. I mean, it's not as great here as my sunny Florida background might suggest, but it's 70 and sunny in South Carolina. I, I can't go wrong. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it doesn't sound like that's all that different. So, I mean, you know, hey, listen. There's no ocean right next to me. No, well, it's, it's it, well, that just makes the ocean better for when you want to go visit, right? If, if you're around the ocean all day, every day, it kind of gets boring and mundane. Or, well, I guess people like to believe that, but I grew up on the water down in Charleston, and I can verify that it never really got boring and mundane. I always really enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed being on the water, so... <laughs> Um, hey, so Matt, we're going to dig into a company today that you and I haven't really talked a whole heck of a lot about on this show. Um, you know, I, I've seen it in passing and I've looked a little bit into it just, just because of, of the type of business that it is. Uh, but I'm excited about today because we're going to learn a lot more about this business and hopefully um, our listeners as well. Uh, we'll learn a, a lot uh, more about it is, uh, too. And this is a company called Appfolio. And Matt, this company that IPO'd back in June 2015, so it's it's not one of these more recent IPOs that's still just trying to get things going, right? I mean, it is a it's a it's a, it's a business that's been in the public markets for a while, fairly well established. I mean, we'll get into this in a little bit, but it's gasp profitable and double gasp free cash flow. F- Positive. I mean, I don't even know what I'm looking at here at some point, even after backing out stock-based compensation. This is a SaaS company that actually uh, has hit the stage of making money, and it's still growing. Um, that alone has really caught my attention. But I, you know, I, I think that once we dig in a little bit more, you realize the market opportunity this company's tapping into. Um, it's, it's, it's an exciting uh, opportunity, I think. It's an exciting business to, to, to dig into and learn more about. Um, and, and so, let's just jump in here with Appfolio. First and foremost, uh, let's start with just what the company does. What does Appfolio do? What markets is it focused on? So Appfolio, it's a software as a service company. Um, They have cloud-based applications. As they put it, they develop cloud-based software for specific industries, but they really only focus on real estate right now. Right. Um, So they develop a cloud-based platform for property managers meaning the companies that, you know, operate an apartment building or, you know, for in, it's investors like me who own houses, they'll, you know, manage our houses on behalf of the, the property owner so they don't have to. So they develop software for these companies. Um, it allows the property owners to do a few things, or the, I'm sorry, it allows the managers to, you know, analyze the business, how it's going, uh, track maintenance requests. For example, if you have a 500 unit apartment building, it can be really hard to track when, you know, Someone needs their air conditioner fixed or someone needs their toilet fixed if you're using a, a paper and pencil ledger or just like an Excel spreadsheet. So this is meant to simplify processes like that. It does things like online billing and online rent payments. Um, it has marketing tools that property managers can use because, um, you know, one of the things I pay my property manager for is to market the properties because that 
I don't have the resources or time to do it properly. Um, right. And and to just kind of serve as a portal for renters and owners to interact with the property manager. Yeah, and and that that is that that's a big market. That's that's a lot of work, actually. If you've in having having um, you know owned a home that that we used as a rental property for I don't know seven or eight years, um, and, and you yourself having that experience just on the single unit side. I mean, if you you then look at at big complexes, I mean, uh, payment services, tenant screening services, insurance services. I mean, I can remember we were very lucky. We had a friend in the real estate business down in Georgia who helped us in in doing things like tenant screening and whatnot. So we, we were a little bit lucky from that perspective. But I could see immediately how valuable the services that she provided for us were particularly on the front end and things like tenant screening because you know I think that you know part of part of being a very you know part of being successful in that in that line of work is really making sure you get good tenants to begin with but it, it does it, it it does really tackle a lot of those different challenges in that line of work and uh it th- that's a fairly reliable market to me we talk about home ownership in this country there's always going to be um, a, a large portion of, of uh, society that, that needs to rent, you know, that, that needs to that needs to lease um, places to live, and, and so this is a company that's really, you know, honing in on that market and in, in, in trying to make those businesses better with the software they provide, and it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of it. I mean, it's still a relatively small company. Um, market cap is, is still. You know, sub six billion. I mean, it's a four four point eight billion dollar market cap today, and I think uh, what trailing twelve month revenue, not even three hundred million dollars. But with that said, um, when you look at those revenue numbers, they are growing that top line pretty nicely. I was looking at a five year uh, compound annual growth rate there on on the revenue side, thirty seven percent annualized, um, which to me. You know, when when you when you're looking for good ideas, I really always like to look at that top line first to see what kind of growth is is uh, is is happening there. And it sounds like uh, there is a lot of growth happening for Appfolio. Yeah, and like, like you mentioned, Appfolio is profitable, which is definitely very nice to see. Uh, <laughs> I mean, especially in the context of these IPOs that are just hemorrhaging money. Yeah. Um, but on the same on the same token, you know, revenue is what is eventually going to translate the profits, especially in a high growing company. So. Appfolio, as you mentioned, trailing 12-month revenue is under $300 million, which makes the company at about 17 times sales today. That's not cheap by any definition of the word. No, but it's 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 not 130 times sales like Snowflake either. So <laughs> You mentioned there was a, you know, a growth rate in the 30s over the past five years. And what's really interesting to mention is that they grew at 27% in the first half of 2020 when the pandemic was going on. So that's yeah. pretty impressive right there. I mean, it's slower than in the 30s, but when you consider what's going on and what the the 2020 market environment has done to a lot of other companies, that's a pretty impressive number. And like and I mean, how long can you sustain a 30 something 37% growth rate for? With a market like this, the answer is for quite a while if things are going well. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And I mean, when you look at the way they make their money, I mean, 90% of their annual revenue just comes from that software solutions services and, and the data analytics they offer the real estate market. They they touch on the legal services uh, market a, a little bit, but really, this is a real estate play for the, for the most part. And when you look at the numbers, 
I mean, clearly they're doing something right. At the end of the second quarter, they ended the, the quarter with just over 15,000 real estate property manager customers that were managing an aggregate of 4.9 million units. And that compared to uh, 13,737 customers and 4.23 million uh, million units under management just a year ago. So, so you can see over the, over the course of that last year, they they've definitely added the, the customers and the units to their portfolio to help drive that top line. And I would figure that over time, you know, like this type of businesses, any of these other SaaS subscription style businesses, it's really all about retention. You know, keeping those folks in that network and growing out that network effect over time. Yeah, and I mean, four point nine million aggregate rental units sounds like a huge number, and it is. But you know, there's roughly fifty million rental households in the in the U.S., and that's just the U.S. If they don't expand anywhere else, so this is a pretty big market. And um, just to kind of quickly run through how they um, make their money, uh, like you said, right now it's about ninety percent real estate. That's actually going to go up to about a hundred percent because they just announced they're selling the legal side of their business. And there you um, go. For a uh, hundred ninety-three million in cash, so that's going to help their balance sheet, and it'll you know get them a more focused business model. Because I, I mean, yes, it's great if they can have more than one software line, but I really like that you know businesses that really are focused on a on the one what they do best, and that's in this case, it's clearly real estate. Yeah. Um, so they make their money and it's surprisingly affordable for landlords. I don't know if you want to get into pricing yet, but this is a surprisingly affordable software product for landlords. Well, yeah, go ahead and jump into that. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So the, there's two versions of Appfolio's product. There's the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the property, the basic property management product. Um, it costs for a residential property, one, a dollar 25 per unit per month. So if for, for each rental property, you know, roughly $15 a year to have this software, if it saves you more than $15 worth of time as a property manager, it's worth it. It pays for itself. Clearly. Um, so, I mean, on the, I, I'm not a property manager. Like I said, I'm on the investment side of real estate, but I have to figure that my property's manager spends more than, you know, an hour or two worth of time each year on each one of my properties when it comes to things like maintenance and coordinating vendors and things like that. So if it saves them that time, then a product like this would pay for itself. Um, there's a pro version meant for large landlords, you know, with 500 or more properties in their portfolio that costs $3 a unit per month, but it adds a lot more analytical capabilities and really lets them, you know, kind of up the functionality and, and coordination of the entire business, if you will. So right. they only they only really have two, one core product right now. There's a regular version and what's called the plus version, but these are not that expensive. And that's kind of the part of the investment thesis is that this is a product that essentially sells itself. Uh, and we've seen a lot of that in the software as a service space. If something can cost you know two hundred dollars and saves a company three hundred dollars, then there's no good reason for them not to buy it. Um, you know, it's it's like paying for tax prep software as opposed to doing my taxes by hand. <laughs> like, you know, it saves me enough time that it essentially pays for itself. Yeah. Um, so the same same thing applies here for property managers. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think you, you said a key word there that I think matters a lot for, for a lot of folks, regardless of the the 
line of work, and that's time. I mean, we're certainly finding new ways to value our time, different ways to value our time than, than you know, we, we did 20 years ago. And I mean, that's, you know, in, in no small part, thanks to technology and the internet and just, and just generally speaking, how, how much all of that together has, has changed our lives and helped our lives in many ways. Um, and so to me, yeah, it, it does feel like this is a business where the longer they can go with these managers, with these property managers in their network, they should over time, as long as they bring a decent product to market, they should over time be able to flex some modest pricing power, I guess. I would think the first and foremost, you got to figure the the switching costs there after a while you know, property managers are going to feel a little bit less enthusiastic about about leaving if they've been working with, you know, a company like Atfolio for three, four, five years. And you've certainly seen over over the stretch of time here since they went public, I mean, that gross margin line, and just looking at it in 2015, just under 55%, uh, last 12 months here, trailing 12 months, they recorded 62.5% gross margin. So it's nice to see that expansion and clearly bringing more of it to the bottom line as well over time. Um, you know, I think that further out, even you know, we we start to look at that margin picture and see if there is any pricing power that's trickling through. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see if that were the case. But I guess really with companies like this, it goes back to, I mean, they're not the only company in this space. I mean, they have plenty of competition out there. A couple of companies that exist out there today, CoStar, which is a $34 billion company, a market cap company. There's RealPage, which is a $6 billion market cap. And, you know, RealPage is interesting. I had, I had looked into that business a number of years back when we were doing a, a real money portfolio initiative on fool.com. And, and I, I was attracted to, to RealPage specifically because of the market they pursued and, and, and the value they were bringing um but with with costar with real page you know now with that folio uh you start to ask why one or the other right i mean what 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 would be perhaps the competitive advantage for one over the other and i'm wondering did you find anything that leads you to believe that Appfolio has a leg up uh, when it comes to the technology or, or some other type of competitive advantage that would you know encourage users to choose them over over their competitors well, I can tell you that um, when I was researching for this segment, when I, I looked, I Googled uh, best property management software and virtually every list I could find, Appfolio was the number one rated product. Ah. So that alone is a competitive advantage right there, if you ask me. I would think so, yeah. Um, I, I think the focus of the company on the property management software business is a big competitive advantage. You mentioned CoStar. Property management software is not the only thing they do. Um, so it, it's it's... It's nice to have focus and don't underestimate good management as a competitive advantage. Um, I'll, I'll give you kind of a quick story. When I when I do uh, premium write-ups for the full, a lot one thing I look at all the time when I'm trying to evaluate the management team is is employer reviews. Just how how do employees perceive the company and the management team? Yeah. Um, so as, there's a site called Glassdoor that's really great for this. I'm sure Jason's been on there once or twice. Oh sure. Um, so um, there's two metrics there. They have the a percentage of employees that say they would refer the company to a friend and the percentage of employees that approve of the CEO, the percentage of, of app folios employees that would approve of this, that approve of the CEO's job performance is 99% based on more than 500 re- reviews. That is the single highest number I have ever seen on Glassdoor. Hey now. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, as far as employees that would refer the company to a job seeking friend, 93%, also one of the highest metrics I've seen for that. Wow. So 
that gives them a big competitive advantage. You might be wondering why I'm discussing all that. Who cares if they like the CEO? <laughs> but no, but it, it's this is a competitive advantage in the sense that really engaged and happy employees, it, it's a big competitive advantage when it comes to attracting and retaining the top talent. And that is what you need if you want to develop the best product in an industry. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more that goes into product development than just, you know, employee recruiting. But it's that's a big competitive advantage to have employees that don't want to leave their jobs that that love where they work and and love what they're doing with the company. And if you read through some of those reviews, it seems like that's really the case here. And that's the big, that's a very under underutilized competitive advantage in stock analysis. Yeah, I like what you're saying there. And I'll, I'll uh, point to something I found in the 10K in just a minute. I, before I do, I, I think it was, it was interesting. You noted the difference between CoStar and um, AppFolio and it, it, in that, you know, in the, co-star they do more than just that one thing right and, and that that is is something to to remember and it makes me think a little bit of the conversations you know i've had with with folks in in comparing something like an adobe to a docusign right it sounds like maybe your your co-star is like your adobe and then you know appfolio is like your docusign and and having the smaller company that's focusing on that one specific market could be you know, could be the advantage or at least the advantage that they're working on. So, yeah, I mean, I think just because it's smaller and, and does less, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And certain, certainly sometimes that can be a very good thing. Um, but going back to the the management, the company is, is being a competitive advantage. And I, I, I agree with you. I think when you have a company with that type of reputation, a culture with a reputation like that, that attracts talent and really talent is what it's all about. Like you said, and, and in reading through the the 10K, they even note in there, they believe that their culture and they believe that their 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 core values, they believe that culture is a competitive advantage. And when you look at the the, the culture and the values that they espouse, it's six six simple values here. Number one, simpler is better. Number two, great innovative products are a key to a great business. Number three, great people make a great company. Number four, listening to customers is in our DNA. Number five, small focused teams keep us agile. And number six, we do the right thing because it's good for business. And so, and I know on the surface, maybe those sound like anybody could come up with them um, or anybody could do that. But the fact of the matter is there are plenty of companies out there that don't do that, right? Even though it may seem easy, um, you know, setting that stuff out, may not be the most difficult thing in the world, but practicing it, incorporating it, ingraining that into your culture over a long period of time, that is difficult. And it really does feel like, um, it feels like Appfolio has has been able to do that based on the numbers that you were just uh, just just telling us there. Yeah. And it, it's also worth noting that the ma- speaking of the management team, that between all of their key executives, they own 42% or so of the company's stock. That's a pretty big insider ownership. That means a lot of people there believe in the company they also control 71% of the vote, which if you like that or not, that's, you know, that's an investor preference. <laughs> but but own, I mean, between, you know, the all just the, the co-founders, the directors, the, the um, key executives, that, if, owning 42% of the company is it's pretty big. Normally you see a number like 5% when you see the like combined ownership. Yeah, that is a big number. And it's, you know, one of the founders, one of the co-founders is still involved as the CTO. And then one of the co-founders is also involved as a director. Um, and I noticed too, just beyond that, you've got this massive um, stake held by the investment group of Santa Barbara. They own a 13% stake in the business, which, you know, you look at venture capital, 
um, associations. You see, they get in, you know, those, those types of firms, they'll get in with these investments early on and eventually are looking for, um, you know, an exit strategy. They want to, they want to liquidate and, you know, take, take their profits and go elsewhere. But it, it seems like at least the investment group of Santa Barbara is happy owning this big stake. And, and, you know, I'm starting to understand why, um, what do you feel like, you know, with a company like this, and one of the things I look to any, any software company, uh, you know, th- they always need to keep up on getting better, right? They need to make, they need, they need to bring more to the market. They need to continue to evolve the relationship to bring more to their customers. And, you know, I'll look at things like R&D, research and development spend, for example, just to give an idea of what kind of money is this company? What kind of the money are they putting back into the business? And it, it, I did know that over the past several years, we've seen R&D spend ramp up a little bit here um, from around 12% to more like 15% of sales. Um assuming that they just, you know, continue to focus on this real estate market, which it sounds like they will. I mean, at some point that R&D spend probably gets to level off and it's not something they have to focus on so much. Uh, that's when you, you might start to see them really be able to unlock some profitability in this business. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned their, um, their margins have expanded significantly over time already. Um, and that's, you know, notwithstanding the R&D increase in spending. Uh, but an interesting thing that I like to look at is revenue growth versus expense growth, because that's t- going to tell you what direction it's trending in. Nice. Um, in the first half of 2020, I mentioned that their reven- uh, Appfolio's revenue increased by 27%. Their expenses during the same period only increased year over year by 22%. So when your revenue is increasing faster than your expenses, one, it means your business might be maturing. Yeah, because as you said, R and D spend and stuff like that's going to eventually level off um, to where you're not in rapid growth mode; you're more in recurring revenue mode. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, they're definitely still in growth mode, but it's nice to see that their margins are expanding. Um, even even during the pandemic, it looks like that's the case. Um, we'll see. We'll have to wait for the full year numbers to see if it if it holds out. But it looks like they're still doing a great job of expanding margins and and increasing efficiency of their business, which is, which is definitely promising. Yeah, it is. And, and the only other thing I've thought about with a business like this and, and its competitors, and, and you know, the reason why I was thinking about this over the weekend, I'd, or really over the last week, I had been uh, digging into a, a research presentation on Snowflake, learning more about that database management um, market opportunity. And, and one of the risks that we're finding, not only in that market, but I think in, in a number of markets here, particularly in this pandem- pandemic economy, where um, you know, costs are certainly more under the microscope now than ever before. Um, some some customers, I mean, a risk out there is that for, for companies that have always relied on having the best tech or the best software, um, and, 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 you know, that's an advantage, right? I mean, you've built your business off of having a really great product and you bring more customers in. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's an advantage that you can continue to grow over time. But what we're seeing Two, you know, at the same point is this, this threat of good enough. And what I mean by that is, you know, companies aren't necessarily focused all the time on looking for the best product, the best service as a client, right? They're looking for something that gets the job done. And, and oftentimes good enough may be better than the best if the cost 
um, is is attractive in, uh, enough. You know, if the if the deal that, that they're being offered is is attractive enough, they may not necessarily feel like they need to pay up for the best software if there's something out there that's good enough that's already getting the job done. And I'm not saying I think that's a problem or something necessarily that Appfolio needs to be concerned with today. But I think generally speaking, in this in this SaaS market in the SaaS and cloud-driven world, that's something at least to keep in mind, that good enough risk that exists out there today still. Yeah, for sure. And, and remember, it's not just good enough. It's it's what's easy. People like easy. Yeah. Yep. And and just, I mentioned that because all those, you know, the top uh, property management software lists I read that all, you know, universally had Appfolio ranked number one. The, big, the biggest comment I saw was that it's user-friendly. Yeah. Um, no one wants a big, complicated, clunky piece of software even if it's you know the best in the business, um, and it sounds like that's one thing that they're really good at is user friendliness and kind of simplifying the process. There are probably more you know feature rich analytics out there. Or, you know, it, I'm sure there's there are property management programs that beat Appfolio on one metric or the other. But if you have the overall one stop software program that's easy to use, because I, I was reading one of their uh, customer stories that. You know, before they went to Appfolio, they had a paper and pencil ledger. And if, if you're if you're dealing with property, and I mean, I can tell you, my property manager uses primarily just old school email, pen, pencil and paper, Excel spreadsheets. Um, if you're if the the it, point being, this is not a tech a high tech field traditionally that they're going after. Yeah. So that's why user friendliness is so important. If you're selling you know database software to software engineers or to an engineering firm, then then you know, it could be a little complex, but if you're selling a, a software program to property managers who, you know, don't have engineering degrees, then, then it, user friendliness is, is a very important quality. And that's what it seems like Appfolio is really good at. Yeah, I love that point. I totally agree. Um, so I, I guess, you know, the the, the $50,000 question here, Matt, is this, a, is this a, a company, is this a stock that you know, belongs on investors' radar. I mean, it, to me, I look at the history of the performance of the stock. It, it certainly had a, a good life thus far as a publicly traded company. Um, it strikes me as, as keying in on a very important market, and it sounds like they do something and they do it really well, and they've built a company with a culture that um, is clearly resonating with a lot of folks. I mean, I, I look at a business like this, I have a feeling what you might say, but I still want to hear you say it. I mean, this is a stock that belongs on folks' radars or something you'd, you'd like to learn more about. Well, this this got it on my radar, and I, I I don't know what you think I'm about to say, but let me see if I could blow your mind a little bit here. <laughs> okay. Um, Jason's definitely more the growth investor than I am. Um, just from hearing, you know, his one to watch is versus my one to watch each week. I think that's fair to say, yeah. So, I'm hesitant, and to a fault, I'm hesitant to invest in businesses that trade at such high valuations, especially that have essentially one product. Um, like I said, having one product is, is a good thing in the sense that the business is very focused, but when you're trading at 17 times sales and you just sold your only other, you know, viable product line, it can causes me to pump the brakes a little bit. I love the, I like a lot about the business, um, but I probably want to keep it on my radar and kind of pay attention to what's going on for the next quarter or two before I would want to pull the trigger. Yeah, no, I, 
No, not at all. That was right. That was right. Because I think I, I think I might surprise you with what I'm saying. Because I, I actually totally agree there. I mean, this, this to me, I, I might be a little bit more, um, I might be a little bit more excited about this business perhaps than you, but not to the point where I feel like it's something that investors should be out there just buying today. Um, and, and you know, I mean, I, there's so many qualities about it that I like. I, and, and I, I mean, I love that it focuses on that key market. I love the fact that they're profitable. They're cash flow positive. I mean, this is a business. They've really got some fundamentals that um, make it, you know, just just make it a little bit more. You, you can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel there because of the fundamentals of the business. Um, you know, to me, it's a competitive market clearly, and and there are other bigger players in the space. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it, they've got their work cut out for them. But I, I like so much about what they're doing, and I really based on. You know what you're saying about the culture, based on what I've read about the business, just in in googling around, it does seem like they they've they've got a culture that that matters. Um, I mean, this is a business that certainly I would have on my watch list, and and you know if we if we see material pullback and that valuation starts to lo- look a little bit more attractive, I mean, I don't I don't think this is a buy at any price business, but it, I certainly think it's one that um, focuses in on a large and growing market opportunity. That sounds like they do something really well, and and with that founder um, leadership there, that that that's another that's another neat quality that we love to see. So I, yeah, I mean, if I'm an investor, I'm definitely interested. Maybe not pulling the trigger at today's value. Evaluation, but I keep this one on on the the short list there for uh, for the chance of any type of pullback that made the stock lo- look a little bit more attractive. Yeah, I, I I'd say that's fair. Um, like I said, it's on my it's on my radar now. Thank you to whoever asked last week for putting it on my radar. Um, but like I said, I, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on it just yet. All right. Well, there you go. Appfolio. That's uh, an interesting business with a lot of potential. And um, and Matt, I appreciate you digging in there and finding out that information for us. Before we wrap up this week, let's go ahead and jump real quick into our one to watch. We'll just take a look at uh, what's going on here this week in the market and have a have a stock for our listeners to, to get on their radar other than Appfolio. Matt, what's your one to watch this week? Given today's pullback, especially, I have uh, Bank of America on the top of my watch list right now. Uh-huh. Um, if you read, I don't know if you read the J.P. Morgan headline. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is under scrutiny because they, uh, you know, allegedly process some illicit payments. I did read that headline. Yes, <laughs> it's dragging the entire banking sector down now. Uh, if you remember, uh, Warren Buffett added more than two billion dollars to their Bank of America stake recently. And yeah. now after this pullback, you can actually get in for less than Buffett paid. So wow. it's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's an attractive valuation. I already own a lot of Bank of America, but may add more if this current valuation persists. Yeah, I, I like that. And, you know, the, the, the bank that really crossed my my radar here because of this pullback today, because it's certainly it's not discriminating. I mean, we've seen Ameris Bank Core also coming uh, coming back to reality here a little bit um, in, in what's been obviously a very difficult market for banks, both big and small. And it sounds like it's not going to get easier anytime soon based on the interest rate policy that we've that we've heard. But Ameris is not my one to watch, so I, I don't want to drag on about that. I'm actually taking a little bit of a different um, approach here. Uh, with earnings season more or less wrapped up, there is a company reporting earnings this Thursday, and I'm going to be very fascinated just to hear their take on the general consumer economy. It's Darden Restaurants, and Darden Restaurants, uh, best known for uh, you know Olive Garden, um, as as the owner of Olive Garden, 
uh, along with a number of other restaurants they've got in their portfolio. And, you know, you could see going into 2020, shareholders of the last five years have done very well with the company. I mean, now they have not recovered all of their losses this year. And given given what's going on this year, it's certainly understandable why restaurants are having such a tough time. But what I did notice in the call from last quarter is this management team is really playing offense. And I think in the restaurant space, the big picture restaurant space has been really, really brutal. I mean, I would not recommend you know going out there and just investing in, in all these restaurants on the dip. I think some restaurants are going to come out of this a lot stronger. Um, and I think most of those restaurants will be the bigger ones that already had a lot of resources at their disposal. And Darden is definitely one of those. Um, last quarter, they had noted 91% of their dine-in stores had reopened with some capacity. Mostly, that was Olive Garden and Longhorn, but still, that's a lot of restaurants. Uh, they're doing very well with their to-go sales, and um, I think that uh, they, based on their language in the last call, they're looking at a lot of these uh, restaurants that are closing down as um, unfortunate, but an opportunity to go out there and gain more presence, gain more physical real estate to open more restaurants uh, to fill that void. Because once things do get back to normal somewhat here, and they will eventually, I mean, folks are going to want to start going back out to, to dinner more on the reg. And um, and I think that uh, Darden is is going to be well positioned to, to f- you know, accommodate that demand. I think it's just going to be interesting to see their their take on the consumer here in, in this uh, next earnings report on Thursday. So, uh, Darden Restaurants and Bank of America, a couple of good ones to keep on your radar. Uh, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time this week to join. As always, this was a fun one. I, I enjoyed digging into Atfolio, and we'll definitely uh, continue to follow it here on the show. For sure. Always fun to be here. Well, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. Or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Uh, hey, I mean, listen, if you have any any companies in the financial sector that you would like us to dig a little bit more into for a show, we're always open for ideas. Not going to make any promises, but hey, we, we get some compelling ideas out there. Uh, you never know. That, that might uh, make for a good show here in the near future, at least until we get back up to our next earnings palooza. But as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.